message is entitled, With All My Heart, Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 35. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that the message might be from you, that it might be clear. Lord, that it might be food for this flock, challenge for our hearts. Lord, that we might be equipped in these times to be found faithful. Lord, I pray for those who may not know you as Savior, Lord, that they would run to your arms today to find salvation and safety and purpose for all eternity, Lord. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I hear reading the Psalms, David says, I just desire to worship with all my heart. Or in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.4, it's what Jesus quoted in the New Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. With all my heart. And yet that's intimidating, isn't it? Because it is a standard when we, we bring it in and say, well, do I love the Lord with all my heart, with everything? Does it influence everything? Like we read just before one of the songs this morning. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. In all your ways, not just the ones that are important, the big, the big decisions, but all your ways. Acknowledge him that you might have a straight path. God desires that for us, but it's not impossible. Now, some would say, oh, well, here we go. We're going to get some rules. No. Legalism, and that's what Jesus is going to talk about. Legalism will not lead you to pleasing God. Now, legalism is not what you do. It's why you're doing it. And it's not the other extreme either where some people say, well, you know, there's some people just have it and some don't, so I'm kind of an inert mass of gelatin and when God wants to zap me, then I'll become faithful, you know. Now, God, if you belong to Jesus Christ today, he sets you free from sin. He has given you the grace to be able, because discipline is a grace, to be able to make those decisions that honor God. And he will bless you. And it's not a one-time deal. We talk a lot about forgiveness. Some people say forgiveness. Well, I forgave him, but now I feel it again. So I guess I didn't forgive him. No, you forgave him or her, but it's a decision that you're going to live by. Like following Jesus. It isn't just asking Jesus in your heart and going and living your life. It's day by day. You've made a decision to follow him. And when you stumble and fall, you get back up. The Bible says a righteous man falls down seven times. But the characteristic of his life is he keeps getting back up again. So when you make a decision, somebody's injured you, they've harmed you, you say, I, I forgive you. Then every day, Satan comes to offer you that bitterness again. He said, no, no, no. This has already been decided. This is under the blood. I'm not going to buy into that bitterness anymore. You, get, you don't get the rent anymore around here, devil. So is the desire to love God with all our heart. It's the decision 
that God will honor as you make decisions, those little decisions along the way, to go your own way or to be obedient. Hebrews chapter 12, after that great chapter 11 on all the heroes of faith, and then he ends by saying, but that list is not complete without you. Your story of faithfulness. So, seeing we have this great cloud of witnesses, witnesses to what? To loving God with all their heart. What do we do? Laying aside the sin and the things which so easily entangle us. And then run with patience. It's, it's a life. The race that is set before us. Here's the key. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross for you, for me. Despising the shame, but now he he is set down at the right hand of the Father. And there's going to be opposition. The world doesn't think this way. Only you as a believer think this way. And he says, you've not resisted unto blood yet in your striving against sin. Whose sin? Your sin. With all your heart. In chapter 10 of Luke, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? He said, well... The lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. Hmm. So in order to be saved, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart. What does that mean? Well, the call to salvation was deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Christ. Where was he going? To the place of sacrifice. Hmm. But see, that's a daily thing that Paul had to recognize. No, I'm crucified with Christ. So in verses 1 through 12, the first step of those things that easily entangle us, distract us from worshiping God with all of heart, from loving him with all of our heart, is the fear of man. Proverbs said, the fear of man brings a snare. The first verse says, under these circumstances. What circumstances were that? Well, Jesus had just had dinner with a Pharisee who invited him to dinner. And because he loved that Pharisee, the Pharisee was wondering why they hadn't uh, washed their hands, why the Lord and his disciples didn't wash his hands ceremonially. It doesn't mean that Jesus ate with dirty hands. But they added to the law and Eating ceremonially was you ran water down, the servant ran water down your hands and you let 11 drips off of each elbow. And Jesus understood that and so he went right to work on the Pharisees and he talked about the Pharisees there in chapter 11. Now he nailed them. Woe to you Pharisees. And after he got done with them, one of the lawyers said, hey Lord, you're offending us too. And he said, okay, let me talk to you lawyers now and he went after them. What was their reaction to that? Did they say, Lord, you're right, we're convicted? No. Verse 54 or 53, 
When he left there, the scribes and Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. They were going to kill him. So in those circumstances, and after so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were stepping on one another. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, wearing a mask, pretending to be something that you're not because of your fear of others, trying to impress others that you're somebody that you're not, resisting transparency in your life because you think it's about your righteousness. You know, that's why we as believers can be transparent. We can come together in our small groups and say, hey, guys, would you pray for me? I'm really struggling with this. Pharisees don't do that. No, no, no. They put on the mask. They broaden the hem of their garments. And they say, no problems in here. What does Jesus say? They're like whited sepulchers. If you touch them, you get corrupted. Because on the outside, they're white and they're clean looking. But on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones and all manner of corruption. They just infect people with their sin. And what their ministry was, the ministry of fear, they, they thought they were better because they knew the law. They didn't keep the law. They were just as wicked as anybody else. They're filled of, with envy and greed. And they had the world's philosophy on everything, but they thought they were better because they had the law. Paul writes about that and said, no, it just condemns you. What's the advantage to have the law? Well, you have the word of God. But if you don't obey it, you're no better than a pagan. The Bible says, fear God and keep his commandments in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The conclusion, when it had all been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. If you fear God, you don't have to get taken into the snare, the snare of fearing man. And I'm sure as Jesus was talking, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, uh, the disciples are saying, Lord, they can hear you. They're the power, they're the influence, they're the rich guys. We got to get along. We got to get along to, to go along. You know, we, 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 what are you doing, Lord? And Jesus goes right to work on them. See, the thing about our Savior that is just amazing is he was totally fearless. Fearless. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Chronicles of Narnia, he pictures Christ as Aslan, the lion. He gets that from Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, John is, is waiting for somebody that is worthy to redeem the world back to its, its original to redeem it from sin and corruption and violence and darkness. And a search is found, and, and nobody's found worthy, and he begins to weep greatly. And the elder standing next to him says, Stop crying, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus steps out, and the place just goes crazy. You see, our Savior, the captain of our salvation, he's always fearless, fearless for us. And he's called us to be like him. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. Those religious leaders came to him and they said one day, hey, Herod's looking to kill you. He said, you go tell that fox, here's my schedule. Do what he can. Mm -hmm. No man takes his life from him, John 10. He'll lay it down. He did that on purpose. 
as the fierce lion of our salvation, and then he took it back up again. He wants us to know him so well, to trust him so much, we have no fear of anything. I think we're becoming a church like that. I know your elders, I love it when we sit down and we talk about what we think God is leading us to. And the question is never, do we have enough money? Or what will people think? The question is always, is God leading us to do this? Is he showing us this? Where does that come from? Because they're just tough guys? No, that is the spirit of God in us. Jesus wants us to be fearless. He goes on to say about those hypocrites. This is the world. And, and Charles Wendell said, every time there's a, a multitude gathered, it's a mixed multitude. You may fool some people. Remember that great quote from Spanky, Little Rascals. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool mom, and you're not feel, fooling God, right? You're not fooling God. You can fool all your friends. We're not all that deep. And every once in a while I hear, oh, listen, here's, here's what's going on, but don't tell anybody. You know what the difference is between humility and humiliation? It's pride. Pride. And I was asking in, in, in our small group has um, kind of uh, fire drill accountability. What I mean by that is, is, is one of them will say, hey, I'm going to be at Starbucks at 11 if everybody can come. And so we show up and we pray together and we fellowship together. We need that besides our small group. And so we have accountability. And... Uh, we were talking about that. You know, if, and, and I could name anybody in our group and, and share their salvation with somebody, and somebody in the world could, come, could hear that and go, oh, pastor was talking about you the other day. Talked about your sin and, and talked about the way you used to be. And whoo, he was really putting you down. Because they don't understand. But I said, if you heard that, you'd say, oh, yeah, man. God delivered me. You can't believe the way I was in darkness. And now I'm light. God gets all the glory. We wouldn't be ashamed. That somebody shared the testimony of how you used to be lost, how you used to be blind, but now you can see. But the world goes, oh, no, 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 no. Stuff it down. Cover it up. Pretend everything's okay. Because their righteousness is all their own. They got to make it on their own record. We don't make it on our record, do we? That's why we can be transparent. It's all about the finished righteousness of Jesus Christ who finished it at the cross before he died. So we can be transparent. But he said, those of you that want to live that life of covering up, Jesus said, there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of those guys. They're in trouble. In Romans, it gives us kind of a little view. I think it's in, in Romans chapter 3 of what's going to happen one day. There's going to be like a, a video. I don't know how the Lord's going to do that. Technology is progressing here. I'm sure he already has the best. And one day, their whole life will be pray, played out for everyone to see, and they will be condemned because they come in their own righteousness. And the standard of righteousness for salvation is not us, is Jesus. 
is Jesus. But the Pharisees ministered fear, and they taught how to keep things covered up, how to, how to justify things. Verse 4, he says, friends, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the people that can kill the body, and after that, they have no more they can do. But I warn you, fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority cast into hell. Yeah, fear him. And you know what? When you come to the place, the Bible says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is wisdom? Skill for living. It begins with the fear of the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you don't have to be afraid of anybody else. As we read this morning, if the Lord is your shepherd, even if you're walking through the valley, the shadow of death, that unknown, you don't have to be afraid. You can be afraid if you want to, but you don't have to be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a disciplined mind. And the disciplined mind that is disciplined by grace, when the fear comes, you say, hold it. The Bible speaks to this. This isn't from God. Psalm 27, though a host arise against me, I will not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord is my champion. You don't have to be afraid of these guys. And you don't have to be afraid because your champion is for you. Are you worth something to to Jesus? We sang about it this morning. Now, Jesus... His blood is precious, more precious than gold or silver. But that doesn't make you that precious. Mm -mm. That's how great your sin debt was. That's not how precious you were. That's not how precious I was. It's our sin debt that was that great, unpayable, it took the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But because he loved you, he was willing to lay down his life, shed his blood to pay the payment of your sins and not for yours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's how precious his blood is. He said, listen, these guys, they, they don't threaten your life. They don't threaten your life. Well, if you don't get along, you know, they're going to take business from you and you won't be able to eat. Now listen here. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them's forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies him before men will be denied before the angels of God. Hmm. See, because of the fear of man in certain arenas, we might be tempted to not claim Jesus as our Lord. Don't you speak around, about Jesus around here or we could threaten your job. Go ahead and threaten away. Our God is king. And the Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west. He puts one up and he puts another down. He's the one that blesses nations with economy. It's not good politicians. Reading something this last week, one of you sent to me. I don't know who it was, but... I get a lot of good things, and I read so many of them that I can't remember who gets the credit, but you didn't come up with it anyway. But somebody talked about politicians. They, they all are against national debt and all these evil things, and yet they're sitting there not doing anything about it. You know why? Because they can't. They are powerless. And it's just amazing to me that they can't even handle an economy, and they want to take on global climate. Oh, yeah, the climate's going to warm up one day. 
God promises that. It's going to pass away with a great noise and a fervent heat. But it's not yet. And our God promised every time you see a rainbow that summer, winter, harvest, and spring will continue until he decides it's going away. So don't worry about that part. And don't worry about the person that says, oh, listen, if you don't, if you don't follow, we'll take your job away. Because we know it's not our great intellect or ability to work that feeds us. Our heavenly Father takes care of us. He is our provider. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants us to get our affection on. You want to learn to love him with all your heart. Then realize who's providing for you. So when you sit down to say your prayer before the meal. It's not just some little rote thing. But you mean it Lord. Thank you for the food that you give us. For the way that you clothe us. He goes on to say. Just consider Solomon. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the flowers. Is anything clothed like they are? They don't reap or spin or make clothing. And they don't fret about if they can get to the mall to get a new color. And yet your heavenly father clothes you. I think we miss out on so much joy because like the world, we're pressured into thinking, oh, I got to get some new clothes. I got to get a new wardrobe. I got to do this. And the Lord says, if you just trust me, you can relax. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to clothe you. And you know what happens when you really begin to trust him that way? You will love him so much more because you'll say, Lord, I do not deserve this. I do not deserve this. My boys uh, grew up and their mom never understood why they needed to have different shoes for different sports. Why can't they just wear their baseball cleats for football? Oh, Christy, you don't understand. Oh, no, no, that's, that's just not possible. We have to have different shoes. And our, our income was limited. We were a little church in those days. And, and, but, you know, God wasn't limited. And the place that we went for sports shoes was Kmart. And how many times I walked into Kmart to get some shoes for school or some shoes for the next athletic endeavor. And to walk in there and be a sale, I'd be so excited. And I'd buy the shoes. Oh, Lord, this is so good. And I'd walk out. And the Lord would say, right in my heart, say what? Oh, Lord, you're so good. Kmart wasn't good. God was good. Or how many times Christy would go to a garage sale? That's the other religion in our house. And she would come home with like brand new Levi's for the boys. Who did that? It was the Lord. It was the Lord. He provides everything. All we have to do is relax. And he says, don't worry about it. They can't threaten you. Don't deny me. Then he says, listen. You can say a lot about Jesus, but you better not talk against the Holy Spirit. Because you're in danger of hell. Now, a lot of people worry about that, just real quick. In this day and age, in those days, they that were there seeing the works and the words of Jesus Christ personally. If they didn't believe, they were in trouble. Today. Sin against the Holy Spirit is dying in your sin and rejecting Jesus Christ. That's it. So some of you are worried like, oh, I swore in Jesus' name one time. Or, you know, I used to hate God and so I'm probably, no, no, no. 
It's when you reject the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and you die in your sin. That's rejecting the Holy Spirit. And then he gives that encouragement, verse 11 and 12. Listen, you can be so fearless, you don't even have to worry if they drag you to court. I'm in you. The Spirit is in you. Don't even, don't even study about what you're going to say. You just be available. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And we see that in Acts 4. We looked at that last week. So someone in the crowd says to him, and this is the second point, verse 13 through 21, Hey, Lord, would you come and divide up the hair? And say, my brother's not giving me my fair share. It's not fair. And the Lord replies, and can you imagine how small you would feel if the Lord spoke to you? Who made me an arbitrator over your silly little will? How many families are destroyed because they're worried about what they're going to get from mom and dad or grandma or grandpa? Well, I deserve my fair share. Who cares? But it's because they think that they have to bless themselves and they have to bless themselves and they can do a better job blessing themselves, taking care of themselves than God can. It's more important to love your brothers and sisters. And he goes on to say, listen, you need to fight against every form of greed. It's naturally in you. Why? Because we naturally think it's part of our flesh that money is the answer, that treasure and gold and silver and, and possessions, that's where security is. You have to fight that even as a believer. That your security is in something other than the Lord. So he says, fight greed. Wherever it pops up in your life, for not even when one has an abundance does life consist of his possessions. Doesn't. Does it? You can have the new car every year, and all of a sudden, your life is threatened by cancer, and you're dying. You're thinking about, well, boy, if I just had a newer model car. No, no. Your life does not consist. You will not be judged, and your life does not give it rich, richness from those possessions. In fact, when you don't honor the Lord, those things own you, and they bring just misery. The hailstorm comes, and it totals out your car, and you're like, oh, car. But if it's God's car, you say, Lord, did you see? Your car looks like a golf ball now. Matt Lenning was telling me last week, because we were talking about how sometimes maturity sneaks up on you. And it takes you, grace takes you by surprise. And he says he was, he was unhooking his trailer. And uh, he, he forgot. He said, I'll just move a little bit. And the whole thing, boom, fell down fifth wheel and just put a huge dent, ruined the bed of his truck. And he said, I just laughed. And then I realized, because I realized how different that would have been maybe even a year ago, even as a believer going, oh, Lord, getting all depressed. Look what I did in my truck. Sneaks up on you. But what a joy when you realize God is growing you. Didn't happen overnight. A little bit at a time. Just a little bit at a time. Your life does not consist of the things that you own. So he tells them a parable. He said, land of a rich man is very productive. So he began reasoning himself. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? This is what I'll do. 
I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I'll store it in my grainy goods because he's just taken for granted. Wow, I got I to prepare for myself and provide for myself for a, long, a lot of years. And then I can finally take my ease because I'll have enough. Now, that's a lie from the devil. Because he's going to say you just need one million more, right? But he said the thing they don't realize, he said, is today God says, fool, tonight your life's going to be required of you. You can do all that you want, but if your life's over, because God holds your life in his hands. He gives you every breath. Even the ungodly, he gives their breath. But if you don't fear God because of what he thinks, who cares what anybody else thinks? But when you understand he's the provider of everything, this guy began to Really think he was something, but the thing he missed was he was never rich towards God. What does that mean? It means that God was not in all of his thoughts. The kingdom was not in his thoughts. That was not his purpose. That was not his goal. That was not the focus of his life. It was him. He was the idol. And God has given us steps on how we can love God with all of our heart, even in tithing. Because God doesn't need your money. The church doesn't need your money. But you need to begin to be rich towards God. And that's where it starts. And for some of you, that, that's a big deal. You're still fighting it, aren't you? It's like, oh, that pastor talks about tithing. And I just, oh, oh, that's real. I don't have to tithe. No, you don't have to tithe. You don't have to tithe. But if you desire to love God with all your heart, that's where you start. Because with that first 10%, and again, just so you know, tithing is not whatever you give. You flip a buck to the guy across on the Walmart corner here. That's not tithing. Tithing is when you take the first 10% and you bring it in to the storehouse. You bring it to the local church and you put in the money. You put in that 10% with no strings attached. You don't say, this is for the building fund. This is for this missionary that's my friend. No, no, no. You just put it in there. Put it in there. Because, Lord, you own everything I have. I'm just recognizing joyfully your ownership in my life. That doesn't stop there, does it? Grace giving is as God prospers you. And it's by prayer. You say, Lord, they're having this special offering for missions or for that building program or for that outreach over there. What would you have me to give? Lord, I'm available. You tell me what to give. After tithing... I, I, you already own my life. I recognize everything I have belongs to you. So, Lord, what do you want me to give this time? And he motivates, and you think a thought. You think, oh, that's too much, Lord. That must be the devil. But your heart is not that. Your heart is, oh, Lord. You could, you could, you could let me give that much, and you'll still sustain me? Second Corinthians 9 says about grace giving that, Whatever God lays in your heart, there will still be food for seed and supply for every good work. You cannot give the Lord. The challenge of the Old Testament, Malachi, the last book in the Bible, is just, just start with the tithe. Prove me now. Prove God that he can sustain you. See, when you were young, it was, I only have this much. Then you're old, well, uh, now I'm on a fixed income. I only have that much. So when are you going to start? Today, today, 
And what is it that God is after? What God wants to show you is that he's going to work personally in your life. And there's nothing like it. That you know God did that. And I'm not talking about that silly stuff they talk about on TV. Uh, send the preacher your seed money. Those guys are fakes. They should be ashamed. And one day they will. And they just get richer and richer and they demand they have a big jet for themselves. They can't travel on public transportation. Oh, they're in trouble. No, I'm just talking about that. I'm talking about God working in your life and you know that God cares about you. And you know what that makes you? It's going to make you fearless of any circumstance. It's going to make your faith and your love just grow for him because he cares for you. And though you've never seen him, your love is growing. He says, verse 22, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. So, well, that seems irresponsible. No, that's what Jesus said. Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And he talks about the birds of the air, and he talks about the flowers. Verse 28 says, If God so clothes the grass and the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? Verse 30, this is what everybody else thinks about. Their world economies are based upon people taking care of themselves. What they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, and where they're going to live, and now what they're going to drive. That's the whole world. The whole world thinks about it. So if you think, well, hold it. Uh, I think you're getting irresponsible, Pastor, because we should worry. We should be focused on these things a little bit. Just in moderation, maybe. No. Jesus said, don't worry about it at all. Does he know you have to put on clothes and eat food and live in a house? Yes, he knows that. And see, that's where your faith comes in. You believe that God knows. You believe that God cares about you and your circumstance. Yeah, but he doesn't care about this wedding I got to go to. And, you know, the special, you know, I got to dress up, Lord. So, you know, this, you know, in all your ways acknowledge him. Bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I really don't have the money and I'm invited to go to this wedding. And so I need to get dressed up, I guess. And see if he will not just open the windows of heaven and give you something that will overwhelm you. And you know what your heart's going to do? It's going to love Jesus. I can't believe he cares about that. He does. He does. You don't have to worry about it. You can if you want to. It's silly. It's worldly. It's sin. But you don't have to. What do we seek for instead? We seek for God's kingdom. Verses 31 through 32. If you then, risen, it says, with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. You're investing in this kingdom. You're asking God, God, what, what is my place in the kingdom? Lord, look at my giftedness. I don't understand what it is. But the Bible says in James 1, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He will show me. Ask God, Lord, Lord what is my 
What is my place in the kingdom? Where should I be building upon the foundation that you laid? What's my place? So the world says, no, no, your place is to take care of yourself. Provide for yourself. Get a retirement for yourself. But you can worry about those things, but you don't even know if you have tomorrow like the rich guy. Don't waste your life. Focus on his kingdom. And then verse 32, I love this precious verse. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. It's not like that insurance commercial where the guy's in a fishing outfit and he's, the girl's supposed to get a refund from her insurance company and he keeps pulling it up so she can't grab it. You know, the Lord says, jump a little higher. Hmm? Oh, you almost got it. The idea that God gladly wants to give you the kingdom. He gladly wants to give it to you. It's by grace. It's not by works. But somehow we have this attitude that God's, you know, I'm just never quite going to make it. God wants it more for you than you want it for yourself. Seek God's kingdom. In verses 33 and 34, invest for eternity. Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For your treasure is there will your heart be also. That's kind of a twofold deal. Where your treasure is there will your heart be also. But how do you make sure God's your treasure? He leads us a step at a time. See, your treasure is what you focus on most, what you do. For some of you, your treasure is your employment, your job. And you get a little sniffle, you're out of church, but, you know, you go to, you go to work half dead because, hey, you know, you got to work, you know. You know. Mm-hmm. What's your treasure? You know that advertisement on TV where it shows a guy's cars is a great big old fat baby. Trying to keep his big fat baby from everything getting hurt, and yet it gets hurt anyway. What's your treasure? Well, how do we make God our treasure? It's a step at a time. It's by asking the Lord, Lord, what is it you value? You know what people, what, what he values? He values people. He values his family, you that are saved, and he values lost people too. And Luke chapter 16 he gives that example of the steward that was an unfaithful manager and he was squandering the money of his, of his boss, of his master. And so his master says, hey, settle your accounts because you're done. I'm tired of you wasting my, my money and not making everything you could for me. You're just looking at it for yourself. But this wise steward began to say to himself, oh, man, I'm getting too old to dig. This is all I know how to do. What am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'm going to go make people like me. So he went to one fellow, and he says, how many measures of wheat do you owe? Or maybe it was oil. He said, 100. He says, right on your bill, 50. And the guy said, oh, what a great guy. Goes to the next guy, how many measures of wheat do you owe? He said, oh, 100. He said, right, 80. It's probably what the guy really did owe, right? He was skimming off the top. 
And it says his master commended him for being wise. And Jesus said this. The world is wiser when it comes to money than Christians are. Yeah. So it goes on to say, I say to you, my friends, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. You want to treasure what God does? He said, use your money to win people to Christ. Can you just buy them? Hey, here's a hundred bucks, except Jesus. No, no, no. It's got to be more real than that. It's got to be your life that you care about people more than you care about money. The Bible doesn't say that wealth is sin. It says the love of wealth is sin. And if you are focused on building the kingdom, then you see all of your assets that God has put in your hand that really belong to him as opportunity to demonstrate your faithfulness to him and see others come to Christ. So you're investing in the mission field. You're investing here in Laramie. You're, you're giving. You're, you're taking care of poor people. You're visiting your neighbor. You're looking for opportunities to invest your wealth so that when you get to heaven, you're not the only one there that you had influence on. Then he says this. He was faithful in a very little thing. is faithful also in much. He said, you know, you just... You say, Lord, if I won the lottery, I'd give you 10%. Well, that's a pretty bad deal for God. Hey, say, think about it. But we always thought, what, what I would do if. No, no, what would you do with what you have now? Not if, but now. As my respiry told the story about a fellow that had the pastor come to visit him. He was a farmer. And he said to his his farmer brother, he said, you know, George, if God gave you 100 cows, would you give him 50? Oh, preacher, you know, if God gave me 100 cows, I'd give him 50. He said, well, George, if, if God gave you 25 cows, would you give him 12? He said, oh, pastor, the Lord gave me 25 cows, I'd gladly give him 12. He said, now, George... If God gave you two cows, would you give him one? Now, just hold on, Pastor. You know I got two cows. Mm -hmm. What do you have now? Are you being faithful with that? Demonstrate your faithfulness. God wants to give you more opportunity to be more sacrificial later. But he says, faithful as he in little, he'll also be faithful in much. Then he says... Verse 11, this is, this is a very interesting verse. If you have not been faithful in the use of un unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? If you can't handle this stuff that's going to fade and burn and go away, then can God really handle you with the eternal riches? Good question. Then he says, and if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Hmm, Interesting. It seems that Jesus is teaching here that right now we're just faithful stewards of his, but once you've been perfected and you're in glory, he's going to give you your own. Hmm. No servant can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. 
Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. Mm -hmm. Are you scoffing in your heart this morning and saying, Pastor, that's just unrealistic? Well, join the crowd of the Pharisees, the unbelievers that have set their affection on that which is fading. God says when you see with spiritual eyes, you will see the eternal reward. And you're not going to labor for that which is passing away. You're going to labor for that which is eternal. He said to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Oh, God wants us to grow. He wants us to be fearless. He wants to be focused on the kingdom. And he wants you to be eternally, eternally rich like Jesus. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, stir us up to these things, that these things will resonate in our heart, that we would desire to be like Jesus, one step at a time, one day at a time, one decision at a time, to simply be obedient. Oh, Lord, teach us to live with your presence in mind so that in all our ways we acknowledge you. And then open our eyes to see where you're working, Lord, so we can be excited about that you care for us in every single detail. Lord, increase our faith. Because, Lee, we want to hear from you well done. We want, like Paul, to fulfill our purpose, to finish our course, to receive the crown from you. And Lord, stir us up by your grace that we might be found faithful like that. In Jesus' name, amen.